Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Thank you for the reading. Good morning. It's interesting, this... uh, this text. I'm going to continue on from last week. Uh, we were in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to stay in this text this week as well. And uh, it's interesting that uh, we still get to this. Last week we talked about the resurrection and, and, and all of that good stuff. And St. Paul kind of continues in this vein, so I'm going to continue this way as well in today's. And he talks about in five one. we know the tent is our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And um, and, and, and verses like this and, and texts like this, we hear them often at funerals. And, 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 I, and I realized something this weekend is I really, I really hate death. It sounds like a weird thing to say, but I, I really hate death. I hate it. I, I, I don't like it. I don't like experiencing when people that I've known well when they pass, and I'm sure all of you have the exact same experience as well, because we all have loved ones that have, and friends that have, that have passed, and, and just, I don't know, just this week after a passing of a friend of mine, I just really, an old minister friend, I just I hate death. I can't stand it. There's just something unnatural about it. And people often say, well, death is just a part of life. And the more I read scripture and the longer I'm a Christian, I, I realize that death is actually unnatural. That death has nothing to do with life. That death is not what we were created for. And I don't know, just keeping that in mind kind of as we continue on in this text from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. He's quoting here from the Psalms, Psalm 116 in verse 10. So he's talking about having a spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believe, therefore I speak. Now this verse, if you watch Christian television and you really should be careful if you do, this verse is widely mistaught by people who understand this verse as describing a mechanism by which one can speak faith-filled words or positive confession towards a particular result. But that doesn't work for this in the context of the psalm that St. Paul is citing, nor in the context of 2 Corinthians. The context in the psalms that he's talking about is the deliverance of the Lord. The psalmist is giving thanks to God for delivering him. He, he lists a whole bunch of things that God has done for him, and then he speaks about how low he feels, but he, with the understanding that God will bring him through. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul also has a specific meaning here. What is it that they believe, and what is it exactly that they are speaking? Well, we have that in verse we have that earlier in verse 5 about Jesus Christ 
being Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what they believe and that is what they speak. Just like the psalmist believe what he says about God's deliverance, so too does St. Paul believe what he has to say about what God has done in Christ. The psalmist speaks because he knows God has delivered him before and he will again. And St. Paul then can speak in confidence because he himself, he knows And he says this in verse 10, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He knows that God will raise him. And he knows that God will raise those who labor with him for the kingdom. And he also knows that God will raise them. He's saying who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And then he says in verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people and may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Again, why does St. Paul do this? He's continuing his thought from what we talked about last week. He's doing it for them. And remember last Sunday we talked about how he said death is working in him so that life can work in them. And we talked about how Paul doing this, Paul ministering to them this way, is that he is following in the pattern of Jesus who experienced death so that others could have life, who gave himself up as a ransom. This is the pattern for Paul. And the result of his labor then for them is the extension of the grace of God to more and more people. The result of that grace is that God is glorified through the grateful worship of those he has redeemed. Because of this, it keeps them going. They don't have to lose heart or feel like the work that they're doing is in vain. And it's so easy for us sometimes, brothers and sisters, to lose heart. Often in the world, it's easy to lose heart. It's easy to, it's easy to throw your hands up in the air sometimes and say, I can't do this anymore. Not just in regards to faith, but also in regards to what goes on in our lives. But because of the grace that has been extended to them. They don't have to lose hearts because even though the outer self is wasting away, their inner self is being renewed day by day. So outside, physically, they're working themselves hard for the Corinthian church. But something is happening. Their inner self is being renewed day by day. And this is the pattern the Corinthian church is supposed to model. That they themselves, as they work for the spreading of the gospel, as their outer self wastes away in service to God and each other, their inner self is being renewed day by day by day. (laughs) One time, just to lighten things just a little bit, um, my Tani Cora... uh, um, when I lived overseas, there was a family I was very close with, and you know, the, the, there's a couple, and, and they had a son close to my age, and I became very close with them, and he was my Uncle Mark and my, my Aunt Cora, and it was her birthday the one year, so I thought it would be funny, and I got her a condolence card, and I wrote, the outer self is <laughs> wasting away, 
but the inner self is being renewed day by day, and I gave it to her. She laughed, but I, I don't recommend you doing that, but she had a good sense of humor about it. But that's true of all of us. Our outer self is wasting away, but the inside, what God has done in us day by day by day is getting greater and greater and brighter, like we talked about last week, the glory reflecting through the, through the, the, the jars of clay, the earthen vessels, the glory of God shining brighter and brighter and brighter through us. Then he says in verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I love that phrase, an eternal weight of glory. It's such a good phrase, an eternal weight of glory. But before we talk about that, let's look at St. Paul's perspective here. He has, on the whole situation, that he's suffering between him and the Corinthian church and everything he suffered in order to bring them the glory of Jesus Christ. He says, all of these things that I've suffered for you are light. They are momentary. And if you know anything about the life of St. Paul, there was nothing light about anything he suffered. There was nothing momentary about anything he suffered. He was whipped. Several times he was whipped. He was stoned to death. God raised him. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked and floated in the sea for three days. He was bitten by a poisonous serpent. He didn't die. He had friends betray him. People that worked side by side with him. And he even says it in some of his letters. This one, I think his name was Demas. He has forsaken me because he has loved this world more. And I am forsaken. No one is with me except Timothy and Luke. St. Paul, his life is filled with suffering. And there's nothing light and momentary about any of it. And we look at his words here and we think, St. Paul, are you delusional? What's wrong with you? But this is the thing about him, is that his perspective was different. Commentator named Ben Witherington says, Paul believes that the resurrection life or God's power is already manifested in his life. And this is especially evident when one is afflicted, suffering, or weak. Furthermore, his labors and suffering are not just the unfortunate cost of apostleship or occasions to demonstrate his faith, but they are the heart of his witness. His life is part of the preaching. For Paul, his perspective is from the eternal. He's not looking through the eyes of the temporal. He's looking through the eyes of the eternal. And in light of eternity, everything that he suffered, all of the physical and and personal hardships that he suffered, they are light and momentary because he's not looking at them from right now. He's looking at them from life with God. It's almost like he's looking backwards almost and he's able to see in light of what's waiting for him that the suffering that he endured is light and momentary also consider well let's talk about this let's talk about the weight of glory so this phrase weight of glory some commentators have tied in this idea of the weight of glory with the Hebrew word for glory, which is the word kavod. And in the Old Testament, we see this particularly in the dedication of Solomon's temple. 
Do you remember the story? Have you ever heard the story? So Solomon builds the temple. And then after they build the temple, what do they have to do before they worship in the temple? They have to dedicate the temple, don't they? They have to dedicate it. So they dedicate it to God. And what happens? As they're praying, as they're ministering, the glory of God descends so heavily that the priests can no longer stand. That the weight of glory is so thick, the presence of the Lord is so thick in the temple that the people offering worship are laying on the grounds. They cannot move. That's how heavy and thick the glory of God was. And this, I think, is what's going on in St. Paul's mind here when he talks about this weight of glory. There's a theologian named Father Stephen Freeman who says the presence of God in our lives rests as a weight, not a weight which oppresses us, but a weight which gives a center and orients all things to itself. God's glory sets all things, in, all things around it in order as they are drawn towards it. I love that. The presence of God in our lives rests as a weight, not a weight what oppresses us, but a weight which gives a center and orients everything in our lives around it. That's what it means to look at the things that are not seen because they are eternal. That's what it means. It's a little paradoxical, right? How can you see with the unseen? How can we look at the unseen, something that's not seeable? But that's what Scripture is telling us to do. The way of Christ, as demonstrated by St. Paul, sets everything around it. And I kind of like to think of this as a planetary orbit, right? The planets revolve around the sun. So planets revolving around the sun. There's gravity, the sun's gravitational pull, as well as the inertia of the planets. It causes the heavenly bodies to revolve around the sun and to revolve around each other. I like to think of the weight of glory in that sense, that the weight of glory is something that rests inside of us, that rests inside of our hearts, and then everything in our lives then revolves around that. It helps us to order every aspect of our lives, our spiritual lives, our personal lives, our relationships. Everything revolves around this weight of glory that is in us. He then continues, we know this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so he's doing a contrast here, a purposeful contrast here between a tent and between a building. So in the back of his mind, he may be thinking of a contrast between the tabernacle of the Old Testament and the Temple of Solomon, or maybe between the Temple of Solomon and, and the individual believer. But let's think about it this way. He says, the tent that is our earthly home, can you live long-term in a tent? Unless you like to have a yurt or something. I don't even know if that classifies as a tent. That's why it's called a yurt. But you can't live... 100 years, 90 years in a tent. You're going to have a really bad time. <laughs> you can't spend all of your life living in a tent. It's temporary. It's a temporary space. When we, my wife and I, when we go with my brother-in-law, when we camp in Blue Mountain, we don't say, you know what? This little space right here with no toilet or, or anything, let's just live in this tent. It'll be great. We'll get a little pop-up tent, and Isaac can just live in there, and then we'll have a little tent over here. We can just live in there, and then we just have these little miniature, like, things that we cook. No, that would be insane. Temporary. Temporary. Can you live long-term in a building? Well, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the point here, because buildings are built to last. 
Buildings are built to last. So the tent of our earthly home, with this eternal perspective, if this is destroyed, we still have a building from God, a house eternal in the heavens. And then St. Paul says that we yearn for this because he says what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's some interesting wording there. So that what is mortal might be swallowed up by life. We like to think sometimes, brothers and sisters, that this life, even though we're Christians, even though we believe there's more than to this, that this life, there's more to this than, than just this. There's something beyond us. Many of us sometimes don't live that way that there actually is something, that this actually isn't real life. That there's a life that experience with God is, in a sense, a deeper life than the actual physical life we have right now on the earth. In some ways, our loved ones who have died in Christ are more alive than we are. Because what is mortal has been swallowed by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So this yearning for our mortal lives to be swallowed up by eternity, to be united with God, this comes from God, because that's what we were made for. We were made for union with Him. And He says here, the gift of the Spirit is the guarantee, right? The warranty, maybe, if you want to call it that way. That what God said he will do, he will do. So when you were baptized and when hands were laid on you and the minister said, receive the Holy Spirit, God marked you as his own. And that indwelling spirit is the promise that God will make good on what he said he will do. And the spirit gives us this yearning for union with God. And so then in the light of eternity, in the light of this eternal weight of glory, Our perspective then, brothers and sisters, begins to shift from temporal to eternal. We look at life and how we live it from the standpoint of our life and the age to come. It's almost as if we're standing in place looking backwards from our destined end point. And that end point actually isn't the end. It's actually the beginning, which is another, another paradox. But think of it like this, brothers and sisters. What does it mean for us to live our lives now as if we were already living in the age to come? How does that change our perspective? How does that alter who we are? How does that alter what we do? How does that alter how we love our neighbor? How does that alter how we love our spouses? How does that help us alter in how we love our children and our family members? How does that help us love one another as a church family? this eternal perspective that St. Paul had. This means that this life that we live in now, what we do matters because what we do in this life now lasts through eternity. And it matters because St. Paul says the grace of Jesus Christ can be spread to more and more people. When we understand that what we do lasts beyond us, it helps bring people back into relationship with God. That should motivate us to do good works. That should motivate us for greater outreach. That should motivate us to start thinking a little bit differently about how things happen at church or how things function outside of the church or church functions that we do for the community, how we look at planning those things, how we look at doing those things. It should shift that for us. But it shouldn't just shift that for us as a church. It should also do that for us as individuals. 
how then can we, that grace that God has given us, how can then we in our everyday lives start to look at how we can give that grace to others? How can we show that grace to others? Closing, C.S. Lewis in his essay, The Weight of Glory, using this language here from St. Paul, he said this, at present we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. I love that imagery, that we are outside the door. We know that there's something beyond the door. And brothers and sisters, that beyond the door is union with God, eternal, ever-deepening union with God. I'm paraphrasing him horribly, but there's a church father named Gregory of Nyssa, and he likens the relationship with God as something that's never-ending, that goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. From now through eternity, it gets greater and greater and deeper and deeper and more fulfilling and more fulfilling. And that should fill us with hope. It should fill us with hope in the face of death. It should fill us with hope that we are destined for more, that we are destined to be united with the source of life himself through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom is due all glory, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope you have you visit us.